The Bible tells men to love their wives and for women to respect and honor their husbands. Historically, marriage has been valued and celebrated by the Christian church. But the truth is, marriage is hard. The challenges, obstacles, and difficulties of life take a toll on a marriage, even a Christian one. Betrayal, heartbreak, and the pain of neglect can shake a marriage to its core and tempt many of us to give up. How can we stay proactive and make sure our marriages are healthy? How do we actually put into practice the teachings from the Bible of love, respect, honor, and understanding within a marriage? And is it a threat to a man's masculinity to get a pedicure with his wife on a date? Welcome, everybody, to the Beards and Bible Podcast, the podcast where we talk about life and love, especially today. Usually, we're just talking about life and beards and theology and all sorts of stuff, but today, I really hope you're ready to talk about romance. (laughs) I don't think I would make a good DJ on like those late night uh, radio shows where they just play love songs. I I don't think I have that gifting, Gabe. I don't know. I think you could pull it off until you came home one night and you realized you have no more soul. <laughs> did, did you ever listen to love songs with Delilah? Yes. Yeah. Delilah. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That was always a encouraging thing. And then for she me. gives random, random tidbits of, of uh, marital advice or relational yeah. advice in between. Oh gosh. In, in between like, uh, I'm trying to think of songs that would be like the quintessential love song with Delilah. It'd probably be like, did you ever know that I'm your hero? Remember that song? Yeah. Wind, wind Beneath Your Wings? Yeah. What's the, the Titanic theme song? <laughs> She'd be like, all right, well, this song's going to go to that's Jason because they're having <laughs> some. Now, you were supposed to be talking while I was playing the intro. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay ready, ready? Yeah. Three, two, one. Well, this song is going to go out to Jason and Sharice because seems like they're having some marital issues. And Jason, even though he... Oh, God, I can't, I can't do it. Well, you missed your, your window, so... Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't do it. It's proof that I couldn't be the next yeah, Delilah. You, you couldn't be the next Delilah. Delilah, if you're listening, we love you. We haven't heard you in years, but we're big fans. What did happen to Delilah? I don't know. Maybe we should Google that. Delilah... Well, obviously today, uh, our topic is probably a little bit uh, different than what we've done in the past, because today we're talking about marriage, but not just like theological aspects of it, because I think most folks that are listening, if you are a Bible-believing Christian, you could probably give us the church answer about marriage, and that's important, and that's good. Theology of marriage is, I think, essential to, to knowing how to do your marriage, but I think what we're going to spend more time talking about today is practically how do you cherish your marriage? How do you um, really make sure that you are doing what you are called to do as a believer in honoring the marriage that God has given you? Is that kind of where we're going today, Gabe? Yeah. 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 Not a, not a deep topic whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah. But 
no, I hope, I hope, you know, with this podcast episode, we can, I think number one, encourage people who are already married, uh, to, well, you know, grow their marriage and deepen their marriage, strengthen their marriage, but also people who are yet to be married, um, to get them some, some things to think about before jumping into a relationship. I often tell, um, you know, people within my sphere of influence that who you marry and or decide to make babies with is the second most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life. Absolutely. And um, I, I, I stand to that because it's, uh, you know, you, you oftentimes will meet people who, who um, entered a relationship or, you know, had kids with someone and then married them or something like that. And it's, Oftentimes it, it ends up, um, you know, very bad for them and it shapes their future for the rest of their life. It shapes every decision. It shapes, you know, how much they're willing to trust other human beings. Um, it shapes so much in their life if that first marriage goes wrong. Um, so I, I always tell people enter that marriage, enter that relationship with so much caution, so much prayer uh, and accountability with those around you. But yeah. yeah. And I would also say something I always include in premarital counseling I do is um, expectations, right? So, so often what happens is there are unrealistic or uncommunicated expectations before somebody gets married mm-hmm. and somebody has an idea of what it's going to look like. And then once they actually get in the marriage, they find out, oh my gosh, this is completely different than what I thought. And so it leads to a tremendous amount of conflict because those expectations are going unmet. And yeah. so I think it's really, really helpful to, um, if you're not married, to hear people who are married talk about kind of the details and uh, <clears throat> the, the realistic kind of day-to-day aspects of what a marriage looks like so that you can make sure that your expectations are set in a reasonable and realistic way. I know that doesn't sound very romantic or very... Uh, idealistic but does that make sense like expectations have to be in a a realistic place yeah yeah and you know people always say that con any kind of conflict is a is a result of an unmet expectation Mm -hmm. and those expectations may be unreasonable or they may be reasonable but that's the source of every conflict and obviously um excessive conflict in any relationship is going to lead to you know the the fracturing of that relationship so yeah, you want to you want to figure out and just lay those expectations out on the table. Um, yeah. yeah. So, how did you and Jenny meet? I don't. I honestly don't know if I could remember that story. If I've ever heard the story of how you guys met, because because really? you'd already graduated college and you moved back up to Tennessee. <laughs> yes. At that point, right? You, you were yeah, teaching yeah, yeah. school. Yeah. So, um, you got. I'm trying to think. We graduated from college in 2006, 2007, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I moved back to Cleveland, Tennessee, um, and I went to graduate school and I was working at a summer camp um, <clears throat> when I was a middle school teacher in Cleveland, Tennessee. And so there was one summer that um, I was actually volunteering at the summer camp that I had previously worked at previous summers. And um, <clears throat> I was actually about to leave to go to Seoul, South Korea to teach English for a year. And I went to this summer camp to volunteer. And actually, my sister was on staff the whole summer. And I just came in for like a week or so. 
and my sister had gotten to know my wife, Jenny, and Jenny was uh, working as a camp nurse there. And so she introduced us and we started talking and uh, we really hit it off. And I said, hey, do you want to be my girlfriend? And she said, sure. And I said, well, I'm about to go overseas for a year. Do you still want to be my girlfriend? <laughs> and she said, yeah. So um, that was fun. First six months of our relationship, I was in another country. And so mm. we, did, we did a lot of Skype dates and talked a lot through that. And so, yeah, that's kind of how we met. We've been married uh, coming up on 10 years. So mm. 10 years and three kids. So did you go in there um, in the nurse station faking you having a boo-boo? Dude, so true story. I actually did throw out my back like really bad. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's kind of funny because like I, I totally could have just played it up, but um, so like we were, I was like wrestling with some of the campers in the pool and like I twisted my back. Cause you know, like high school kids, like in middle school kids, when you're in a youth camp and stuff, I mean, it's just like the male counselors are like, mm -hmm. let's get them. Like, you know, they were trying to drown me, that kind of thing. So yeah. I threw my back out really bad, but I didn't want anybody to know. And so I'm walking across the, uh, mess hall to get my camper something. And I'm literally hobbling and Jenny, this is before, like we were talking or anything. She noticed. So she came up to me and she grabbed my arm and she like told my ear, she goes, Hey, I know you're trying to make it look like you are not hurting, but I see that you're hurting. And after breakfast, you need to come see me to get medication and to get, make sure we ice you back. And nice. I was like, I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, man. So we actually, it's kind of funny. We did get the chance to like connect and talk while I would <laughs> literally laying on my stomach in the clinic with ice on my back. And so, yeah, it's kind of funny, but yeah, so that's how we met. So how about you? How, how did you meet your wife? I was actually there for it, but why don't you tell her this? Yeah. So, um, yeah, we were at Southeastern and it's oddly enough, the very first time I ever talked to her, uh, she was, she was dragging her sweater behind her. She had her sweater like wrapped around her purse or something like that. And you know, the sleeve of her sweater was dragging behind her on the pavement on the sidewalk. And so I, I like stopped her and I told her, you know, Hey, your sweater's dragging behind you. Mm, and, um, yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> apparently, apparently we had a class together and it was a relatively small class, but I just, she, she remembers seeing me in the class, but I had, I had no memory of her being in the class. I felt kind of bad, but, um, you know, so we, we miss each other there, um, as well. But then eventually, um, some friends of ours uh kind of put us together and uh you know we we uh ended up lining up this kind of accidental date where we were in this lobby of a dorm room watching napoleon dynamite mm. and kind of like one at a time all of our friends kind of peeled off and left us sitting on this couch watching napoleon dynamite together and it was like really unsubtle unsubtle and like um just really awkward and the funny thing about during this um during this movie which is an, an amazing movie by the way oh absolutely but, the most romantic uh, movie of all time by the way yeah so but the funny thing during this movie is that there was these uh in the lobby we were in the the college in, installed these like motion sensor lights so every time someone moved the lights came on and uh you had to wait like a minute for the lights to go back off so it was like this funny thing with like anytime either of us move, the light would come on and we're like, okay, that, you know, it's like these blinding lights would come on in the middle of this lobby and stuff, <laughs> but it's just her and I sitting up there. And then, um, uh, 
you know, nothing really happened with that per se, but we got to know, we, we realized we had a, a similar sense of humor and that was really, really cool that uh, there's there possibility for a friendship there. And, um, we, I guess, lined up through a bunch of mutual friends, a kind of like a beach hangout day where we went out to this little, this little place called Anna Maria Island on yes. the West coast of Florida. And, uh, I had already get, gone out there, I drove out there, rode out there with some friends and, and, um, and then Stacy pulls up. Now I had always been obsessed with, uh, owning, but always been too broke to own a Toyota 4Runner. And I liked the early 2000 model 4Runner. Um, I just liked how it looked and everything and the body of it. And uh, Stacy pulled, I didn't know what she drove before this. She pulls up to the beach in this like 2002 Toyota 4Runner. And I was like, <laughs> and yeah. You were like, you shall be my wife and all of your worldly goods shall be mine. And yeah, and I was like, you have my babies. <laughs> so yeah. Um, but I remember we, we hung out at the beach for, you know, a few hours and then we got back and we were going to go get some ice cream somewhere down on the other end of the Island or something. And so we all pile into this little, you know, forerunner and I sat on the very back of the hump and I was sitting in the, the, the you know, the, the, the tire well, you know, where the, um, oh, you're talking about like in the trunk almost. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the very oh, back of the forerunner on the tire well, cause wow. there's not enough seats. So I'm sitting back there and Stacy's driving her car. And we kind of barely knew each other at this point. We hadn't really had a chance to talk. But I remember seeing her in the rearview rear mirror. Um, I remember looking at her eyes in the rearview mirror as, as she's driving. And I'm like, whoa, she has like really pretty eyes. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's just like this really like, it's just these really simplistic like observations. Like, whoa, she drives a cool car. Oh, she likes Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And she has really pretty eyes. But yeah. So, so obviously it was very deep from the beginning. It was, it was, yeah. yeah, it was very deep. And who, who was it that, um, gave you her AIM screen name? Who was that? Well, this is, this is an intense point of, um, of dispute. I, I don't because... think it is. I think it's actually a close <laughs> and settled, uh, disagree, uh, discussion point. Um, yeah. For those who don't know, uh, AIM or AOL instant messenger was how you communicated with other people. Yes. In your it was the original, so, original text messages. Yeah. Stacy's handle was Stacy angel one, four, three. And that's how we started kind of like talking to each other basically was through this, this instant messenger thing that you would can only access if I'm not mistaken. Well, we didn't have smartphones. So yeah, you had to access yeah. it on a computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so that's, I, I think, I think I'm going to give you credit for giving me her, I, I deserve full credit, but it was kind of a team effort between you and and Stacy's one of Stacy's sweet mates, Rachel, that kind of helped well, us. No, so us um, Stacy's roommate was Miriam, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of her okay. sweet mates, Miriam. Yeah. Okay, so I I knew Miriam, and then I had met Stacy through Miriam, and I had I think both their screen names because of one of our sweet mates that I don't I don't know how I had it, but anyway, you you, you rolled up in my room on that. You're like, hey, man. Um, you had that girl, uh, Stacy screen name. And I was like, yeah, man, if you, if you want it. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, and then I gave it to you and then the rest is history. Now you got three kids and you've been married yeah. for how long? Uh, 13 ish, 13, a little over 13 years, 13 ish years. And I yeah. remember, remember your wedding and we shared some pictures on our, our, uh, beards of Bible Facebook of your wedding. That was mm. a good, good 25 pounds heavier back then. That was, yeah. that was fun. Those are some fun. <laughs> so you, you had a you had a big black bushy beard and yes. i was cleanly shaven yes. so it's almost like the the roles are reversed now like 
yeah, you filled out a little bit, and I've thinned out a little bit too. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So I took some of my stuff and gave it to you, and you took some of yours and gave it to me. So there you go. Yeah, but yeah. That was it was um good times, and we were both in each other's wedding. Yeah. So uh, I remember I, I got married in the wood in the woods um, behind Stacy's parents' house. You did, yes. And uh, you played a beautiful song during the wedding ceremony. I did. Yeah. I remember that. I don't know how, I don't know if it was beautiful or not, but I remember, remember singing and playing at your wedding yeah. and, uh, at my wedding, the only thing I really remember, I mean, I remember a lot, but the one distinctive of our wedding is it was during the cicada plague. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You remember that? I remember, yeah. I remember you eating a cicada. At, <laughs> at a, at, it was at a, oh my gosh. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. It was at a Sonic. And there yes. was a cicada. There was a cicada that had emerged from the ground, freshly emerged from the ground. This was wasn't on up. the wedding day. This is while we were all hanging out before the wedding day. This yeah. is our yeah yeah. There was a cicada climbing up someone's tire in the parking lot of a Sonic, and we were like, "Josh, let's pool all of our money together." And you don't you like you know you can't know how much money it is that we're all pooling together here, but. Will you eat that cicada for however much money we pulled together? Yes. And you did. You popped it right in your mouth and ate it. Well, dude, I was and, broke. And, I was broke as a joke, and I was like, "Dude, cash for the honeymoon? Absolutely." <laughs> I think it. I think it ended up being like five dollars and twenty five cents or something. Yeah, like that. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't know. But very it, minimal. Yeah, anything was five dollars goes a long way to Taco Bell, my friend. So. And then, man. Ironically, at the end of my wedding, you almost ruined it by pelting <laughs> me in the face. <laughs> So Stacy and I, we had this this scooter, this little 50cc scooter that was, I, I pulled up to the reception as the reception was winding down. We had it all planned out that we were going to jump on this little scooter. It looked like a little retro scooter. We were going to jump on this scooter and she was going to hop on the back and, and kind of like sit side saddle. And we were going to scoot on out of the, out of the reception because the reception is all outdoors. And then we were not going to turn back. Like, you know, we were going to, we we're going to leave and we we're going to ride go off into the sunset. Yeah. yeah then we we're going to go on our honeymoon. So, um, people caught on to this. I pulled up in my scooter and I honked the horn beep, beep, a couple of times. And, uh, and she, she, you know, she knew that it was about time. So she, she, she gets up and she gets on the, the scooter and I start taking off, you know, and I'm like, we're moving pretty good, but people by then had realized what was happening and they set up a hasty ambush around the corner around <laughs> on the other side of the garage. And, Josh, you had a handful of bird seed. I did. And uh, there is a picture of you, I mean, just full on like pitching that handful oh, of bird seed into my face as I'm as I'm driving the scooter. <laughs> and so like it hits my face as I'm driving. It gets in my mouth and stuff. And so like oh, the, the scooter like does like a little fishtail and I almost throw Stacy off the scooter. Yeah. Sorry. But we, that, we end up recovering and, and pull out of it. Yeah. But, in my defense, we had seen the movie 300 the night before. And so mm-hmm. in my mind, I wasn't throwing birdseed at a good friend of mine. In my mind, I was throwing a fireball at an invading Greek at Thermopylae. That, that was my, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm, I'm really sorry. That could have been bad, but thank God it wasn't. So man. Good, times. Good, times. good times. Yeah. Good to reminisce. And fun fact, you proposed to your wife on Anna Marie Island, the place where you guys had your first date. Nope, that's no? uh, that's Ryan, Ryan and Connie. Oh, yeah. Gosh, I I, pro- I proposed to her in Saint Augustine. Oh, and, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Okay. I'm- yeah, it's a funny story. I actually wanted to propose to her on top of this lighthouse in Saint Augustine, uh, and I chickened out. There's too many people up there. 
So mm. I proposed to her this, I think this old Spanish castle and stuff. So I proposed to her oh, there. Kind at of least it was, water. yeah, at least it wasn't like a Shoney's or something. You're like, well, it could have been the White House, but I chickened out. So I went to a, yeah. the Chevron down the street. Well, my dad did propose to my, my mom at a McDonald's. So really, yeah, yeah actually I think he, one of them was working at that McDonald's and I had never known the story till probably a couple of years ago. And I finally asked my mom, I was like, how did dad propose to you? And uh, she's like, well, I don't like to talk about it, <laughs> but apparently, yeah, apparently my dad got my mom a Big Mac and, um, I mean, talk about poor, like they were poor, poor. Yeah. And uh, my dad got my mom a Big Big Mac and he had, he had set the ring on top of the Big Mac under the styrofoam little oh, man. styrofoam cases. And talk about romance. Yeah. So she opens this Big Mac and there is, there is the, uh, the engagement ring. So, wow. Yeah. But they, they were married. 41 42 years and so he must have done thick and thin yeah must have done something right yeah man well that's cool um well let's talk about kind of uh what it is that has kept your marriage healthy and kept you and your wife on mission together um so for our viewers or for our listeners or whoever it is that's listening to this podcast we do not know these habits that uh gabe and i uh, will be sharing so this is a, a big unveil so we're going to go back and forth and kind of share what we have found to be most helpful in our marriages in the course of the past 13 years for gabe and 10 years for me mm-hmm. so uh gabe you want to go first you want me to yeah i'll take the first one okay so uh my first of the five um is that i think number one you and your spouse have to have a Number one, a biblical worldview, and kind of nested within that is a um, a covenantal perspective towards marriage, a biblical covenantal perspective towards marriage, hmm. because um, that's going to inform both parties uh, what their roles are in the marriage, and that they are. I always say you're you're acting out a, or I guess you're portraying. Um, a covenantal love and relationship that God has for his people. Mm. So when you're reflecting that and you're, you're kind of acting that out for the world to see ideally through your marriage and your covenantal relationship. Yeah. There will be, you know, ups and downs and there will be times of peace and times of, um, you know, turmoil. But as you're acting that out, um, you're showing the world a, a holy covenantal relationship and reflecting that, into the world so that people will be drawn to his covenantal love. Does that make sense? Absolutely. But I think, I think having that bigger picture in mind, when you go into your marriage, you're saying, okay, we, we both realize that this is what we are acting out, that, mm-hmm. that, um, that we're, we're showing the world what God's covenantal love for his people looks like. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. And yeah, that's, that's kind of similar to my, uh, first one. I put that, um, any marriage that is healthy, has to have a vision and a purpose. Mm. So um, having a vision and purpose for your marriage of making sure that it's not really about you, it's about pointing people to Christ in the church, right? So everything that we're um, doing in a marriage is really just a reflection of who Jesus is and a reflection of how he loves us as, as the people of God. And um, really that, that vision, and that purpose will dictate everything about how you spend your time, how you spend your money, 
what you do with everything you have, how you love each other, kind of what you said, that covenantal faithfulness, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if I see my marriage as the purpose of it is just to make me happy, well, what happens mm -hmm. when my spouse doesn't make me happy anymore? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or, I mean, if you married your spouse because you were just physically attracted to him or her, what happens, you know, my dad, my dad would always say, you know, we all get fat and ugly. <laughs> There's got to be something a lot deeper there. Right. And I think that's, yeah. we take, we take, just like we take a commercialism into how we look for a church. Um, sometimes we take commercialism to how we look for a spouse. Absolutely. Um, but yeah. And I always say, you know, if we are acting out this covenantal relationship, um, you know, who am I in that, in that play, so to speak, I, mm -hmm. I am Christ. I am the Messiah and I am, um, you know, what is, what does my role look like then? If that's who I am, my role looks like I'm willing to wash the feet of my bride. I'm willing to lay my life down for my bride. I'm willing to forgive. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, who is Stacy in this, this play that we're acting out? She's the bride. And what is her role yeah. in that? Her role is to be pure. Her role is to be holy. And her role is to be faithful. And, yeah. um, you know, that's, the, and I kind of tell my, my students or people who I'm kind of counseling through marriage to, to look at it that way. And it's, um, there isn't this idea of, sometimes you may have met, you know, men who have this idea that um, because the Bible says, you know, wives submit to your husbands, that means you can yeah. be a total jerk and you can lord over your wife, you know, and, mm -hmm. and kind of, um, that's just so unbiblical. Um, that's so unlike the role of, you know, our savior, he, he willingly lay down his life. And even when he was giving up his last breaths, he said, father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. It's, it's, yeah. it's complete selfless sacrifice that we're, that we're, that we're doing. Absolutely. And I think that when that becomes the focus of both of the, um, both parties in a marriage, like the, the, the husband is working as hard as he knows how to become like Christ and how he loves his wife. And the wife is looking to do everything she knows how to do to honor God and how she is loving her husband and, and displaying what it looks like to honor God through honoring and loving her husband. Then the marriage is grounded in something significant, right? Because mm -hmm. like Jenny and I used to lead um, a, <clears throat> a life group for young married couples. And when we did, we were living in um, the town next door to us. It's a suburban town. It's upstart. It's growing. It's like one of the fastest growing uh, town and suburban areas in all of the country. And so, man, we'd get people from all over the country moving in, taking jobs and building houses. And, and so like what we started noticing is all these young married couples, they would start chasing after this American dream, mm -hmm. like getting a nice house and getting a dog and having babies and, making money and you know it was almost like the vision and purpose for their life was just to be fun or, or to have fun and be happy you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and so what we found out is that like if that's the vision of a marriage chances are the husband is going to have his own idea of what that looks like and the wife is going to have her own idea of what that looks like and in the beginning maybe every now and again you can get lucky and say okay we both think this is both going to make us happy and this is our priorities but later on down the road there's going to be some disagreements on the appropriateness of certain priorities in life mm -hmm. because it's not grounded in that foundation that is significant and meaningful and really eternal 
And, and so like, man, we would see it like from the beginning, we go, man, this is, this is like headed towards the danger zone. Cause I mean, it looks great on the outside. Everybody looks like Ken and Barbie and nice house and money and all this good stuff. But then five, six years down the road when babies start coming mm-hmm. and the decisions are, are being made about, you know, certain things, man, we, we saw a tremendous amount. I mean, sometimes even divorces, you know, because you can't build this thing called family that God has instituted and ordained um, mm-hmm. on a foundation full of nothingness, really. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like too sometimes you see um, where in those first few years in marriage, because like you said, they're chasing those dreams or whatever, yeah. um, that the husband and wife uh, will even unknowingly fall out of love with each other. And then as kids come into the into the scene, they fall in love with the kids more yeah. than each other. You know, And yeah. I, it's, it's really unpopular to say this, but really um, I, I do say it, that your relationship with your spouse is more important than your relationship with your kids. Absolutely. That, that your marriage comes above your relationship with your children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in America, sometimes we, we swap those, you know, because we, we tend to idolize our children. We tend to yeah. um, love our children more than we love our spouse, um, yeah. which uh, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm getting into my, my other point here, but I'm going to let you, you want to share your number two? Yeah, I'll share my number two. Um, so number two for me in, in my marriage has been to practice respect, understanding and sacrifice in day-to-day life. Mm. So when my wife and I first got married, um, the way to get to her heart was through things like love notes and, you know, romantic dates and me being the guy that, you know, she came off home from work and Hey, I cooked her dinner and all that stuff. And, you know, there'd be nice music playing in the background, but, um, <laughs> going on 10 years of marriage, uh, things are just a little bit different, just, mm-hmm. just kind of a little, little different now. Um, because what, what we're finding out and, um, it's not that there's not space for romance and for sweet gestures, but what matters more to her than anything in, in this stage of marriage we're in is when I do everything I can to respect her and understand her. So that means like listening to her, paying attention to her, picking up on when she's hurting or she's struggling or she's feeling overwhelmed. When I'm like going out of my way to be sacrificial and how I serve her. So that means doing dishes, um, getting up with the kids in the middle of the night. So we've got a newborn in the house. So um, definitely having to, to play my part of getting up and changing diapers and 3 a.m. Um, working together with her to, to keep our house clean and, and then just showing her respect by treating her as an equal and not demeaning her or uh, this whole idea of like mansplaining, right? <laughs> 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 Where we basically like dismiss our wife's opinions and viewpoints as invalid or unimportant because like we're men and we understand how the world really works and she doesn't, right? <clears throat> so that, that to us, and, and honestly, um, I didn't think this would have made the list truthfully. Um, but a couple of nights ago I was talking with her about this podcast and I just asked her, I was like, Hey, what, what do you think? Like what has meant more to you in our marriage? Um, and what has kept our marriage healthy, uh, these past 10 years. And this was her number one. She was like, she said, you know, romance and all that stuff, that stuff is good. But over time that fades, 
And she goes, mm-hmm. if it's not, if it's not grounded in character, she goes, it doesn't mean anything to me at all. And so she, uh, this was a big thing for her, just that respect, understanding and sacrifice and, and making sure that that's, that's important. Yeah. Well, I think this isn't one of my points, but I think it kind of ties into this is knowing your spouse's love language, how, yeah. like, how they feel loved yes. uh, is, is huge because um, like mine is like acts of service and quality time. Mm. Um, and you know, Stacy's would be like, um, uh, quality time and physical touch. Well, in my family, if you, if you knew my family, we just don't touch each other. I'll go six months without seeing my mom. And like the first time I see her, like we, there's no hugging that, you know, and, and Stacy's <laughs> Stacy's family and her, her kind of like her culture within her family is very different. Like they're always, yeah hugging or kissing or this and that. And I'm like, ah, oh, get me out of here. You know, <laughs> we don't, we don't, we're just no physical affection. So, yeah. um, it's, it's important for me, for me to remember that like her happy place is like sitting on the couch with her legs draped over my lap and a book or a cat, you know, just something. And, yeah. you know, just th- that's, that's how she feels loved. It's just kind of like in the mm-hmm. stillness, but for other people, it might be like gifts and giving gifts. Sure. And or uh, words of affirmation. So I think it's understanding, um, you know, how your spouse feels loved and then showing yeah. them love in that way. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that's important, too, to, to know that, like, um, the way that your spouse feels loved is probably going to be different than the way you feel loved. Mm-hmm. And so just because you feel loved a certain way does not mean your spouse is going to feel loved a certain way. So in, in marital counseling, sometimes I'll talk with, you know, and, and I don't want to pick on women because men do this too, but I feel like a lot of women are very well-meaning and sometimes get really hurt when their husbands don't respond to gestures that they're showing them of love and affection. They're just like, you know, I did all this for him and he's just not doing any of this for me. And I'm like, well, you communicate love through gifts and acts of service, but that's not how he communicates love. Mm -hmm. He communicates love through just being near you and wanting to hang out with you, you know? Um, and so I think understanding and learning your spouse, which is actually a, another point of mine that I'll get to in a second, but yeah, I'm uh, understanding and appreciating, Hey, this is how you communicate love and this is how you receive it is important. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Is that your number two? Um, no, my number two is actually to, uh, kind of, kind of ties in what you were saying, um, expressing like spousal roles and having common expectations in terms of, um, mm. who's doing what in the household, because it's really easy to be married when it's just the two of you. It's so easy. It it's, you know, oh man, it's like, I wish I would have gone back in time and slapped myself across the face before I had mm-hmm. kids. And I was like, oh, I'm tired. I'm like, you don't know what tired <laughs> is, you dummy. Yeah. And then when, you know, you're, you're three kids deep into it, you're like, okay, we got to survive, you know? <laughs> and um, so having, having expressed spousal roles. So like, you know, and a lot of this is informed by our family. Um, yeah. my mom is the type that she would be up at 5am every morning and be drinking, just gulping down coffee and just be just, you know, like making, uh, scrambled egg and biscuits and, and having it like, so by the time I woke up to get ready for school in the morning, I was just like, Oh, you know, and mom had already left for work. She'd already like weeded the entire front garden bed, made, <laughs> made scrambled eggs and coffee and biscuits. So, and all this so stuff. you're like, so every woman obviously does that. That's what yeah. we do. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you tend to, you tend to project those things onto your spouse and mom 2.0. Yeah. 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 And so when we first got married for Stacy, her frame of reference was 
um, that dad, her, you know, her dad still is like an amazing, um, DIY, like fixes anything that he sets his mind to really good with like, you know, um, uh, just, just, uh, automotive repair, tractor repair, you name it. I mean, the guy is just like a genius when it comes to that. And she married me and I'm like, <laughs> dude, I don't know when another screwdriver from the other when we first got married. Like, and I can, so, I can play the drums. I mean, that's, you know. yeah, yeah. I, I can play the drums and a little guitar, but I cannot, <laughs> that will not fix our garage door that is now completely, but no, so that I put a lot of pressure on myself to think, okay, I have to learn how to do these things because that's, I feel like a lesser of a man because that's the man in her life up until now could do all those things Yeah, and I can't. And so I always compared myself to, to that standard. Sure. Um, and she didn't really project that onto me, but there were times, you know, where I was like, I was like, let's just throw this out and go get a new one. And then Stacy, you know, would be on the phone with her dad and he'd be like, Oh, oh no, gosh, all you need to do is just uh, swap this part out. And I'm like, ah, oh, I'm an idiot. You know? uh, yeah. I felt that too at times. Yeah. But so having, having those expressed roles, so like in our, in our relationship, in our marriage, I'm the money guy. I deal all the finances mm -hmm. and at the end of the month, I'm like balancing everything out, looking at our budget. Um, whereas Stacy is the, is she does all the schooling stuff for the kids mm -hmm. and I don't really touch that, you know, even though I'm a teacher, I just don't, that's not my thing for our kids. Mm -hmm. Um, so having those, okay, this is your lane. This is my lane. Sure. Um, if you need help, let me know. If I need help, I'll let you know kind of thing. And that, I think that's really yeah. to kind of clearly express those. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good one. I think sometimes those just sort of naturally flesh itself out, you mm -hmm. know, once you get in the marriage. But I think sometimes it's important at the beginning of the marriage to say, hey, I'm more comfortable doing this and I'm not comfortable doing this. So would you do, do, do this and take care of that? And yeah, that's good. So that's your number two, making sure to mm -hmm. have clearly defined roles. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'll move on to my number three. Um, our number three in our marriage has been to set aside intentional times for reconnection. Mm. So something that we've done um, since we were married is every year for our anniversary, we get away for at least one night. Um, sometimes when we had, you know, newborns and stuff like that, we had to take the baby with us, but we've tried as, as, uh, as, as much as we can to take a night at least to just get away, just the two of us to spend time together, reconnect and just enjoy each other. And we've also tried to make sure that date nights are something that we prioritize. Um, it's a lot more difficult to plan a date night right now <laughs> in the season <laughs> that we're in with younger kids, but um, in seasons where we either couldn't afford it or we couldn't find babysitters or something like that. Sometimes we would just do, um, and I'll try to keep this as, as PG as possible. We would, we, we would do weekly date nights. So it would be a date night in instead of a date night out, mm -hmm. which if you catch my drift, date nights in are a, a lot better than date nights out sometimes <laughs> if you catch my drift. Um, but what we would do, man, is just like, Wait, hey, what do you mean? I mean, why, why are they better? I mean, just, you know, just, just. The, the, the fridge is so much closer. It's just like the fridge is right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't have to drive, you know, it's right there to play checkers and stuff. So, um, we, we at times would like, man, and, and you know this cause you're, you're married and you have kids and you work a job. Like sometimes man, life can just get so stinking busy mm -hmm. and the temptation after the end of a 
work week or after the end of just a long day and then taking care of kids and doing dinner and all that stuff is, is to put the kids to bed and then crash on the couch and turn on a movie or a show and both pull out your phones and just sit and endlessly scroll through your phones while a show is playing in the background and just one of you falls asleep on the couch, right? Mm-hmm. But what we found is that sometimes the most loving thing we can do for each other is to put up our phones, turn off the TV and just be together. And, and I'm not just talking about sex, but um, I'm talking about conversation, like real conversation. Um, just doing, you know, something we enjoy sometimes just sitting on the porch and having a, 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 a drink, just lemonade, right? Nothing else, just lemonade. <laughs> no, sometimes enjoying a, a you know, glass of wine or something like that and just talking because what we found out is like both of our love tanks get filled through quality time. Like you were talking about love languages earlier, both hers and mine are quality time. So it's ridiculous how much silly conflict and bickering happen within our marriage when we just miss each other. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy how when we're just intentional about like, hey, we need a date night. Like we're kind of like going back and forth and just bickering and it's just silly. Like why don't we tonight just when the kids go to bed, we're going to put up the phones, turn off the TV, sit on the porch and just talk. And we're going to we're just going to enjoy being together. Um, man, that, that has been a lifesaver in our marriage. I can't tell you how many trips we've gone on where like the most amazing part of the trip is not us getting to a bed and breakfast or us doing something fun. It's literally the drive to the place, right? Mm. The three or four hours in the car of just talking has been a lifesaver. Um, and man, that, that has been for us just like so crucial. And if we're not doing that, then we're in the danger zone. And so being intentional about that, we're on the highway to the danger zone. So, (laughs) um, so yeah. And like trying new stuff too, man, with your spouse, like, you know, we've played top golf together and Jenny never played golf before in her life. And we went out and played top golf. She was like, "Ah, I love this. This is so much fun. Um, (laughs) I got a pedicure with her on her birthday. Oh gosh. Is that manly? Can I do that as a man? I I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so she was. I asked her, I "Was like, okay, so what do you want to do for your birthday? You're nine months pregnant. It's mm-hmm. COVID. We can't really do a whole lot right now. What do you want to do?" She's like, "I think I want to get a pedicure." I was like, "That sounds awesome." She's like, "And I want you to be with me." And I'm like, uh, "Like hold your hand, or did you?" Like, no, so no, like, I want, you, dude, I want you to sit in the chair. And like, <laughs> no, like so. Like it's apparently not uncommon for men to get pedicures. I thought it was like the most womanly thing ever. And so I'm super uncomfortable going in and I sit down next to my wife in this like chair and dude, it's like a massaging chair Mm. with like a, it was awesome. And dude, it was the most relaxing thing in the world. And I slept like a baby that night. So, um, yeah, so I tried something new with my wife and it paid off. It was actually really awesome. They'd have to get out the power tools to get the corns <laughs> off my feet. That's like Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah the yeah. Dremel tools. <laughs> Grinding so, all that stuff off my toenails. That's disgusting. We're not going to talk about no, that anymore. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, so, yeah, that's my son number three. Intentional times for reconnection. Date nights, trips away, um, and sometimes date nights in where light candles and, and just reconnect. So Nice. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a really, I didn't, that's not, it didn't make my top five, but I think I would probably, 
I would definitely add it in there, especially if, like you said, your quality, your, your love language is quality time. I think I would throw that into my top five. Um, well, my, I think I'm on my fourth. Is that okay. right? Um, is how looking at money, um, from a, from a biblical, uh, perspective, looking at money from a kingdom perspective, you could say, um, within your marriage, the number one thing that couples fight over, married couples fight over is money and, and how to manage it. Yeah. Um, and if you're under a lot of financial stress, uh, that compounds the tension. So, um, you know, Stacey and I have combined, um, finances. We don't have separate bank accounts or anything like that. It's all combined. And, um, so we look at money, you know, different than maybe how the world will look at money. We look at money as being, um, number one, like not our money. Absolutely. Um, so if we're called to give, uh, really in every capacity of our lives, it's, it's really, all of it is a gift to us. And we're at times expected to give some or all of it back. So looking at money that way and, and saying, this is just, you know, very fleeting thing. It's just, it's, you know, mammon, it, you know, it, it picture it, my dad used to say it's pieces of paper with pictures of dead people on it. And that's, <laughs> that's all it is. And we've ascribed yeah. value to these pieces of paper with pictures of dead people on it. And it can do things and it can move things and it can be, you know, it can energize, but it's, it's really at the end of the day, it's just a piece of paper with a picture of a dead person on it. So, yeah. um, when you kind of, when you kind of re-examine money and you kind of, I don't want to say devalue it, but if you, um, take some of the emphasis off of it and say, you know, this is our money before we go and purchase this thing, you know, how we prayed about it, how we research it really well. Um, you know, is this, is this what God wants us to do with his money? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, maybe we're supposed to give in this area or maybe we're supposed to sacrifice in this area, or maybe we're supposed to save that money for our future or whatever. Um, but I think looking at money from a kingdom perspective and realizing, like I said, it's just kind of passing through. It's just a gift. And, and ultimately, um, it's just a piece of paper with a picture of, of a dead person on it. It is not yeah. the, the be all and end all of your life and your marriage. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think making sure that, um, like you said, there's unity in terms of agreement on, on how you spend it, how you save it, mm-hmm. how you give it. Um, and that's something that like, I have seen so many marriages that I've counseled uh, like you, you said, that's the number one topic that couples fight about. That's definitely been my experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, when people, and, people weaponize the topic, you know, like married couples will, yeah. they'll say, well, because he went out and did this, I went out and did that too. You know? And it's like, oh yep, man. Yep. Such- and, and I feel like the most common problem I see with money is one of the members of a marriage. So one spouse is, um, irresponsible and is a spender. Mm-hmm. And it's not communicating with their spouse about what they're spending or how they're spending it or not consulting mm-hmm. their spouse about how they're spending it. Yeah. And then gets deceptive and tries to hide it and cover it up. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's not this unity of like, okay. So I always say there's, there's four buckets that your money goes in. The first one is give because God says that first fruits is what we give. Right. So mm-hmm. you give, then you live. <laughs> so like, <laughs> You got to pay the bills, right? You got to pay the mortgage. You got to feed your kids. So you give, you live, and then you save because there's so much in the book of Proverbs about making sure you're planning for your future and you're being wise. And then after you give, you live and you save, then you spend. Mm. So so then if you want that new toy, which I feel like men never really outgrow that whole thing of wanting toys, right? Then that's when you talk as a couple and you say, Hey, you know, we've got a little bit extra this month. Would you mind if I got this? Or would you mind if I got this? 
And uh, something my wife and I have done since uh, we've gotten married is um, we do a monthly budget. And within that budget, once we filled those first three buckets, the the give, the live, and the save bucket, if there is, if it's responsible for us to have a spend category, then she gets a little bit to spend and I get a little bit to spend. And she doesn't have to ask me how she spends it. And I don't have to ask her how I spend mine. Hmm. And, and it's not much, but at the same time, it's us making sure we're being responsible and communicating with the other three and we're honoring God and we're honoring our children and we're honoring each other. And that way there's no fights when it comes to, you know, Hey, you went and bought that. Are you serious? You bought that outfit. How much did that set me back? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Good plan. And I, I really like, um, Dave Ramsey's view of money as well. I, I always recommend that married couples go through, um, Dave Ramsey's financial peace university. Absolutely. Because if you can start your marriage, especially if you can start your marriage, um, debt free, or at least with the understanding, the, the the agreement that in our marriage, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to throw all of our financial resources towards getting out of getting out of debt, so we can be freed up to follow the will of God, and and have less weight on our shoulders. Um, that is that is huge to not have to really? to not have to stress about money as yep. a as a newlywed couple is is um is an incredible amount of freedom that you can experience. Absolutely. Uh, that was the best gift uh, my father-in-law ever gave my wife and I as we were engaged. He uh, paid for us to go through Financial Peace University. Mm. Yep. And yeah. so we made the commitment while we were engaged that we were going to get out of debt and stay out of debt. And uh, we have not wow. not come back on that. So I'm, I'm really, really grateful for that. So yeah. cool. So did you give, your, go ahead. Oh, did you give me your number four? I don't think so. Are you ready for it? I am. I think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, uh, <clears throat> learn your spouse. So be a student of your spouse, her strengths are his strengths, weaknesses, differences, dislikes, and respect them. Um, and the reason I put this is because when my wife and I first got married, um, well, when we first started dating, really, one of the things that we both surprised, we were both surprised by is how different we were from each other. Mm-hmm. So, um, we were really, really different, but it just kind of worked and we couldn't quite figure out why. Um, I was really into like indie music and movies and reading and backpacking and artisan coffee and kind of being this like, you know, hippie nonconformist thing. And she was really into ballroom dancing and like the movie, how to lose a guy in 10 days. <laughs> and we were like, all right, on paper, like this, this doesn't <laughs> seem to work, but like, we just both really, really love each other and really connect. And, um, when we got married, I think we saw our differences kind of come out even more. Um, because I can be very introverted at times. I want to be alone to recharge. She loves being around groups of people. That's how she fills up. That's how she recharges. Hmm. Um, she is a Enneagram one. So she's like very, detail oriented, very particular about her taste. She can kind of at times struggle with being a perfectionist. Um, I'm not, (laughs) I'm like a big picture guy. I don't really care about details. I care about the larger framework. I don't want to get lost in the weeds. So in the early parts of our marriage, I really thought my job was to train her and change her to be more like me because my way of seeing things and doing things was the right way to do it. And so what would happen is I would sometimes just point out her, differences and draw attention to her differences and really treat her differences like they were flaws that my job was to change. 
And then I would get really defensive about my ways of thinking and my ways of going about certain things. And I realized when I did that, I ended up basically just making her feel ashamed for stuff she couldn't really change and she didn't really need to change. And then I was just being really prideful and that was sinful. And so I think over the course of 10 years, it's taken me this long because I'm pretty dense. I've had to learn that all the ways that she's different from me are actually that's God's gift to me. Because if she was just like me, we would be doomed. <laughs> yeah. Like if if we both didn't care about details of anything, like our kids would probably walk out of the house half naked, right? Um, so it's good that God paired a woman that cares about details with a man that cares about big picture. Does that make sense? Like yeah, yeah. the way in which we're different is actually it's actually good. And so me criticizing her for thinking about things different or going about things different and trying to make her just like me is actually, that's, that's not right. And so like learning those things and respecting those things, I think have been huge in our marriage. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, in, in Genesis where it says that, you know, God pulled Eve from the side of Adam and gave her to Adam. It actually it uses an awkward terminology or uses an awkward phrase there that he set her opposite to Adam. Hmm. Um, the idea is like, you know, your wife could be like a complimentary, um, uh, kind of like a imposing force, but also your wife, you know, to Eve to Adam could be like a, a stumbling block and a full on opposition an adversary. Yeah. So you either look at her as, like you said, a complementary force in your life, or look at her as a source of, of um, what was the ad- adversarial type force? Right, right, right. It's going to constantly get in your way or something like that. Yeah. One of the things that causes tension in Stacey and I's marriage is I'm very goal oriented, and most mornings look like this: like I get a cup of coffee and I get my Bible and I, and I, I sit down at the dining room table. And um, while the whole family is still asleep, you know, I love waking up really early and just being in the quiet and the dark. And um, I get my daytime around and I write out a list of objectives for my day, you know, and just like plotting that out. And I set up kind of like these arbitrary goals for my day. And it might be things like um, decide on this and or purchase that or, you know, finish painting that or whatever. So it's like, you know, it's my day off or something like that. And I got all these projects that I got lined up for the day. And so the, the family, you know, like a couple hours later, will we'll come down and Stacey will come down and she'll get coffee. And by then I've, I've had like three cups of coffee. I've <laughs> gone, I've gone running. I've started to chip away at this list a little bit. And cause her and I are about two to three hours, like, um, different in terms of like, we're offset about two or three hours in our, in our, in our circadian rhythm. No, but, no, no. um, so by the time she comes down, she's like kind of groggy and kind of waking up a little bit. And I'm just like, I'm like all up in her face. Like, here's what we're doing today. You know, like here's, here's the, the list of objectives. This is our mission statement for the day. And this, you know, I'm like, here's how we're going to do it. Uh, and I'm, I'm heading to Lowe's. I'll see you later. You know, it's kind of like sometimes what our mornings was like. And, and she's like, wow, who, you know, just this person's a whirlwind. Um, she calls me intense sometimes, but you know, I, I set up these, these arbitrary goals and I am, I don't know if you're familiar with the four species where they, you've got, it's like this personality test. I forget. It's, it's from 
probably from the 80s or 90s. I, mm. It's called the four animals. There's a golden retriever. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. A lion, an otter, and a beaver. And the the golden retriever is just a golden retriever, very loyal, but doesn't like loud noises. <laughs> you know, very, mm. it wouldn't, would never hurt a fly. Um, the beaver is someone who's just constantly building, loves to, likes to create and build and uh, plan. A lion is some, it likes to go out and it likes to achieve, yeah. it likes to conquer, you know, um, and uh, very visionary. And then the um, the otter is, is just playful all the time. And you could be a mixture of these four animals, um, but I'm like a, a lion beaver. And I like to go yeah. out and I like to build. I like to kind of construct and I'm very visionary that way. Mm-hmm. Stacy is 100%, 100% golden retriever. So we always joke around sometimes, like I always say, you know, like if, if we were really our, our animal, like I would, I would hunt you down and kill you and eat you because, <laughs> well, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't, you know, anytime she hears like a power tool, anytime she hears the rattle of my car keys, you know, like yeah, there's yeah, like, yeah. wait, wait, you know, and, yeah. and we have a golden retriever too, which is really oh, funny because so funny. They, they're very similar personalities. Anytime you hear fireworks outside, the golden retrievers in the bathtub, like she's, she's hiding out from the <laughs> But that's, you know, I set up these arbitrary goals for myself because I'm like, you know, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. Yeah. And then I project those onto everyone else. Like, you've got to buy into this or else, you know, um, right. I, I'll have a bad attitude because of it. But Well, so, and this, it's so funny to watch, though, like, you know, I've known you and your wife for a very long time. And you guys compliment each other so much because if if it weren't for Stacy, you would probably run your home like a military boarding school. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah right i mean i don't know if that's you know no yeah probably yeah she, she keeps you so balanced and keeps you so grounded and and you're uh i don't know man like i i just i think your wife does such a good job at you know just and not not to say that you're not compassionate and you you don't have um intentionality no, I'm, I'm not compassionate <laughs> <laughs> no but i just i think it's so cool how god's brought you together like you guys have just yeah at times very different personalities but when you're both together it's just like clear that man it's the lord that's really brought you together and kind of woven your hearts together over the years and there's yeah, unity yeah. in your marriage and that's really cool and that you know i think i inadvertently skipped my number two but my number two was um that as a married couple you need to you need to develop a, a good solid friendship yes um, absolutely. And that's one of the things we did early on is and i can legitimately stay say that stacy is my best friend in this whole yeah. world like um I share things with her that I don't share with other people and I confide in her about things. And I mean, we really are each other's best friends. Um, and when you have that and then you have a common sense of humor and you um, just have like after, after two weeks of being overseas, I'm, I'm a mess without Stacy, you know, like yeah. I, I'm a loser. I'm just like, oh, I'm just such a, I miss my, my best friend. Absolutely. And having that, I think, as a foundation with your marriage is really important and not letting anyone come in between that. So if you're a woman, you should not have a, you know, a woman best friend over your husband that you confide in, especially if you can confide in about your husband. If you get around and you just talk about your husband's, I think it's really toxic. And the same thing applies for men. It's like, oh, man, I got to pull away from my wife and and hang out with the guys, you know, the, you know, uh, left the ball and chain at home kind of thing. Like that's that's really toxic as well. Um, you know, you should, you should have that, that friendship. And then when you experience things like, um, your, your kid poops all over the floor in, in the middle of the grocery store, you know, you're, you can laugh <laughs> about it, you know, cause you're friends and like, you can look back at that yeah. and, um, your friendship will pull you through so many, um, 
so many hard situations and bring you out to the other side stronger for it. Absolutely. Well, it's funny. I asked my wife uh, a couple nights ago about some of this stuff and, and she's made this statement. I thought this was really interesting. She goes, um, always remember why you married that person in the first place. Hmm. Like wh- why did you get together with them? You know, cause I think that's the yeah. thing is like when, man, when you're 10 years in and you're going through a rough season, um, like a year ago, both of my grandmothers died within two weeks of each other. And I had to officiate both funerals Wow! while I was teaching yeah. through the book of Ecclesiastes, which is the most like, depressing wow. book of the Bible. Right. And so, um, I went through just a really, really, really weird season of grief and processing and trying to figure out just kind of like, you know, just, just a lot of things. I mean, it was just, it was just a lot. And so, um, we just really had a hard time connecting during that season. Just really did. Mm-hmm. We, we had a lot of just conflict. And um, the year before that, we had built a house, had a baby, and we were one year into a church plant in the same year. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it's funny. You talk with general contractors. They say, man, more divorces happen through the home building process than almost anything else. Wow. Um, and so we just had two years of just, man, really going through a lot and we were really struggling and we had one night, it was a Saturday night before um, I had to preach the next day. And I was, this is so funny. I was preaching. My text was from the book of Malachi where it says, I hate divorce says the Lord God. Mm. And it wasn't through any choice of my own. It was just on my preaching calendar for the the week. And the Saturday night before I had to preach that sermon, we got in a massive fight, Mm. like probably the worst fight we'd ever gotten into. And it was just through like months of unprocessed grief. It was through years of unprocessed just tension where we just missed each other through, you know, the home building process and having a baby and, you know, all the demands of a new church plant. And we stayed up to like three in the morning, this Saturday night, fleshing things out and prayed together. But it's in moments like that, when the, mm-hmm. the tensions of life and marriage becomes really, 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 really hard, that mm-hmm. is so valuable to remember why you married that person in the first place. Mm-hmm. And they're not your enemy. Yeah. And yeah. through God's grace, we were able to work through some of those things. We actually sat down with a, a counselor and, and talked about some of that stuff and you know, realized that, um, there was a lot of things that, that I needed to work on. That was probably a lot of the flashpoint in some of those, you know, disagreements and conflicts. Cause there's a lot of stuff that I was just a lot of shrapnel I hadn't really healed from. And so, man, like being willing to fight for it and being willing to remember, like I chose you because you're my best friend and I love mm-hmm. you and I'm never going to fight against you. I'm actually fighting for you. I'm fighting for us, you know? Mm. And never forgetting that. I think that's so, so, so valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of leads me to my fifth, my final point. Yeah. Is having a source of accountability in your marriage, having a couple that you can call and say, can you please pray for Stacey and I right now? Mm. We're really, or, or can you, can we, can we go out for dinner together and talk about some, it could be a pastor um, or it could just be close friends of yours who are on the same page and have kind of the same priorities in their marriage and say, guys, we're, 
can we just go out to dinner? Can you help us kind of sort some of this stuff out? We're yeah. really like, we're struggling right now. And without intervention from a third party, I don't think we're going to get through this. Yeah. Um, and so having the humility to be able to do that with someone else, um, is really big. And it's hard for someone who's in position of leadership at a, at a church because, mm-hmm. you know, especially, you know, this Josh, like people look at you and Jenny as being like, you know, the, the invincible marriage, you know, just yeah. like you guys are imper- impervious to fighting and you're just we, perfect. We just and you're holy. Ever. Yeah. 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 When, when it could be that the opposite is you have, you have a, a, target on your back that's twice as big as people who are not in leadership i believe that you're under so much um so much more spiritual attacks because you're in leadership and i think if satan can take you out and end your marriage then he's kind of killed two birds with one stone Mm -hmm. so yeah i think it's really important especially for people who are in ministry to find someone who can be a source of counseling who can be a third party for you and be able to help you kind of work and, and not have pride when it comes to that and, and acknowledging, you know, Hey, we, we are human. We're in, we're trapped in this stuff called flesh as well. So yep. we have conflict. Um, that's, that's really important that you have that agreement with someone. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, like, um, the, the both parties have to be willing to say us going to see a counselor or us going to, you know, meet with a pastor or meet with a mentor or couple or whatever. That's not an admission of, we're a failure, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like, Hey, we're, we're just so broken and busted and dysfunctional that we've got it. No, no. Like that's actually a sign that like you are willing to fight for your marriage and honor God in your marriage. Yeah. And so if you're, if you're not willing to make yourself a little vulnerable and be humble in that, then man, that's a, again, that's a danger zone, right? I mean, that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's the place you don't want to be in. Um, yeah, and that kind of goes with my number five. This is my last one. My number five is, did you do all five years? Yes. Okay, yeah. cool. My number five is be vulnerable in communication. So be vulnerable in communication. So that means tell the truth, <laughs> tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the truth. <laughs> so allow your spouse to see all of you. That is the ugly parts, your insecurities, your brokenness, the parts about yourself that you wish you could change. Hmm. Um, don't be shy in doing things like praying together. Don't be shy in sharing your life of faith together. I meet so many couples where the wife says, my husband won't pray out loud in front of me. I don't know why. Hmm. Um, don't be shy about confessing your doubts or your struggles. Man, if you're like wrestling through something in your faith walk, or you're wrestling something in your walk with God, like God has given you that spouse as your um, partner in life for you guys to make each other sharper. And um, it, so that's one part of it. But also another part of it is don't be shy about sharing your desires and your dreams and your hopes. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'll just kind of, go there. But like, um, the first few years, Jenny and I were married, um, in the, <clears throat> the department of intimacy, we really struggled. Hmm. Um, and there was a number of reasons for that. The, one of the reasons is because I came into the marriage, um, with a past where I had been addicted to pornography. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there was a deep, deep, deep sense of shame and guilt when we would experience intimacy together physically. And also this 
deep layer of shame and guilt and then these like false expectations because of that. Mm -hmm. And then she grew up with her mom teaching abstinence-based sex education. And so everything was sex is bad, sex makes babies, sex is bad, sex makes babies. And so you bring both of those together. And for like three years, man, we just could not get on the same page with that. And and we really just struggled. And a lot of it was because we weren't communicating. We weren't being vulnerable. We weren't saying like, hey, listen, like I'm just really insecure about this because I'm not very good at this. Or I'm just really insecure about this because I feel shame or I feel guilt or whatever like that. And and I don't know, man, it was weird. It was like maybe three or four years into us being married, um, we miscarried. And uh, we both kind of went through that like grief of having lost the baby together. And it was like on the other side of that grief where we just got vulnerable with each other Mm -hmm. and just were truthful about, man, that really hurt. Didn't that like, I'm feeling this, you're feeling this. And then, um, when we were like, let's, let's try to have a family. Let's, let's, you know, be vulnerable in that aspect. And like, I don't know, God just really created something beautiful out of that. Um, but that never would have happened if we had not been honest with each other about our hurts and our insecurities and what we were going through. And so, um, I've found that when I am, um, prideful and closed off and I don't want my wife to see my insecurities, all that does is just creates more of a distance between the two of us. And it serves me very poorly in the long run. And it actually just hurts her tremendously. So it honors her and it um, is actually allowing her to be who God's called her to be in my life when I open myself up and I'm just vulnerable and I share with her, hey, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm going through. Here's what I'm feeling. And since she does the same for me, it makes me feel very loved that I'm included in that part of her life. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of men, a couple of generations probably worth of men who are coming into a marriage and their reference point of uh, healthy biblical sexuality is pretty much non-existent. Yeah. And their, you know, their, their reference point of sexuality in a marriage, I mean, by and large, their education is coming from the porn industry. Absolutely. And that is, is very, very toxic and destructive when it comes to like having, you know, healthy, holy sexuality. And, and, and that's, I think, um, in our council, we have a, a small group, um, of young men who are like, they're like 14, 15, 16 years old. And, um, I counsel them in that I'm like, man, you guys, you gotta be really careful. Um, you have, they have so much more access to, to those sorts of things and those images and videos than I did at their age. And I just cannot imagine growing up with that level of access to information, um, at my fingertips. It's just unbelievable. Um, but yeah, to, to be able to, you know, to, to bring that into your marriage and say, this is my, this is my reference point. This is what I, the only, the only normal I have in my life is what I used to watch on the internet. Oh man, that is yeah, it was so tragic, so destructive. Yeah, man. And, and you know, it's, it's crazy. It's like, um, before we got married, I told her, you know, I, I remember the night that I told her kind of the, my past with that. Cause I mean, it, I was exposed mm-hmm. to pornography when I was 11 and it was a legit addiction for years. Mm-hmm. And then when I came to Christ, you know, I, God broke that, but then I struggled with that for years and years and years. And so, um, when I finally laid it all out to her, um, I remember the night we were, we were dating and I did, I expected her full well to just be like, you're disgusting and you're gross and her to just push away <laughs> from me and go, I don't want anything to do with you. But that's, she did the opposite. She, she actually just mm. 
she said, thank you for telling me. And I'm really sorry that this has been a struggle of yours. Yeah. And throughout our marriage, man, like that was a struggle, you know, of times like really having that really very near and present temptation to go down those paths. And, um, man, I will give my wife just so much credit. She has always been the first to help me in that struggle to, um, you know, it's funny cause I, I'll tell <laughs> counselors of mine and stuff when they've worked with me through some of this stuff, I'm like, yeah, man, I, I tell my wife anytime I'm struggling with that, he goes, do you understand how rare that is <laughs> to, wow. to have a wife that, um, like doesn't feel, um, you know, that she's less or she doesn't let her insecurities. And I was like, man, I know that's a God's gift to me. Like my wife has been the number one cheerleader and champion for me in battling against that struggle in my life of, Mm. um, overcoming that addiction and staying free from it and staying pure in it. And it's all come about through her just being like, you can tell me anything. Yeah. And her legitimately saying, no, tell me anything. I want to know if you're struggling, I need to pray for you. You Tell me if, if, you know, and so man, like, but, but I have to be the one that is willing to, right. If I'm like Mm. struggling privately and, you know, but I don't say a single thing to my wife and then she finds out on the back Mm -hmm. end. Yeah. That's exceptionally painful to her. Yeah. Right. And, And I'm not talking about like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not encouraging men to, to, uh, share all the graphic gritty details with their wife. If they're struggling with that, you need another guy, you need an accountability partner, all that stuff. Right. But it is 100% necessary and appropriate to let your wife in and to share with her something like, man, I, I just need prayer because I'm tempted in this or, or, you know, when we fail being the first to confess that to her and ask for forgiveness. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To be able to, I I guess at that precedence of, of you confessing and then, you know, your wife having grace with you in those areas, um, is really important early in your marriage. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think sometimes men, we can be really prideful. Um, most times we're really prideful and to confess, uh, an area of sin to our wife is very challenging for us to do. And it doesn't have to be pornography. It could be anything, anything you yeah. know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and you know, I'm, you know, to confess, like one of my, one of my greatest sins towards Stacey is just speaking harshly towards her. And I don't mean it. I'm just like, I'm just an intense person and I'm, I don't, emotions don't really compute with me. So I will speak harshly to her and, she is very, she's a very emotional person, not like out of control emotions, but she's dr- driven by feeling yeah. and like, she's, she's that golden retriever, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's very, very empathetic. And you know, she's that golden retriever. So she's, she's easy to wound with words and patterns of speech. And she's like, you're talking, you know, she'll say, you're talking really intense right now. You're talking really, and I'm like, this is my normal voice. You know? <laughs> but, so it's important that, yeah, we, we, and for me to come back and say, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have been talking to you that way or I, I need to learn how to communicate with you um, at a point where it, it doesn't sound threatening. It doesn't sound so intense to you. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's really challenging for men to get to that point where we can yeah. acknowledge our wrongs. Well, and, and the whole idea of vulnerability, you know, I've always said that um, the opposite of pride is vulnerability, mm-hmm. right? The opposite of pride. Pride is 
puffing out our chest saying, I'm good. I'm great. I don't struggle in here. This area, I'm, I've got it all under control. Vulnerability is actually saying, no, actually, I'm I'm broken. And I got it wrong. I blew it. And man, I, I raised my voice at you. You did not deserve that. I took this out on you. You didn't deserve that. And dude, if we're doing that consistently in our marriage, if we're being vulnerable on both sides, husband is being vulnerable to wife, wife is being vulnerable to her husband, because I've met a tremendous amount of women as well that are not vulnerable with their husbands. So it, it, I mean, it goes both ways, but um, when vulnerability is being practiced and communication is happening, then it's amazing the kind of unity that comes about as a result of that and the kind of intimacy that comes about as a result of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I want to encourage people too, this isn't really in my top five, but encourage people, married couples out there, those looking to get married, um, seek God's calling over both of your lives. You're, you're a unit um, that you you step out together um, on something and you have to be unified in doing that. So for Stacey and I, if it's leading in, in me teaching a congregation, um, she has my full backing in that. That's part of, that's her calling as well. It's not just Gabe Rutledge's calling, Absolutely. it's her calling. And she serves a vital role in that in supporting me and in counseling other people and you know being better at empathizing than I am. Um, but you would never find her in a million years standing up in, in front of a group of people and talking and teaching. You <laughs> think she would just, yeah. she would rather literally rather die. But yeah. so finding, finding your calling as a married couple and stepping out in unity in that is mm-hmm. very, very important. And it might be, you know, managing a lawn care business, um, but doing it really well, doing it um, as a unit and supporting each other in that. But your, your identity, your identities and your personhoods completely meld together as a married couple. You become one flesh. Um, and it's important that we, we realize that our pursuits and our identities are no longer, um, our own per se, but rather we are everything and all of our energies and, you know, our, 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 our time and all of that is now cohesively one, um, where we, we step out together and we, we, we no longer pursue our own individual interests, um, to the, to the exclusion of the other. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and one last thing with that. So like when it says for husbands to love your wife as Christ loved the church, what did Christ do for his church? He died. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He gave up his life. Right. And so as men, when we truly want to love a wife, that means that we've got to be willing to die to ourselves. And we've got to be willing to say, Hey, no longer is my, um, golfing hobby, the most important thing in my life. I've got to die. I got to give that up. It's it's now about loving my wife. It's all about serving her and, and making, uh, you know, her feel loved and valued by laying down my life for her. So, Hmm. well, good. Our top five. I think we solved all the world's problems. I think we did every marital problem. Every marital problem that anyone ever has will be solved by listening <laughs> to this podcast. So, is there anything else you want to add? Any any uh, good, uh, good piece of advice? Just, I would say, just treat your marriage like a garden. Um, you know, if you have any experience in gardening, it takes work. It takes mm-hmm. main. It takes maintenance. And I go out. I have raised bed gardens. I go out and I I water them. I just I stare at the plants. I see if there's any pests eating them. I you know, I I. Sometimes I have to pull up weeds. Um, I have to, I, you know, the wonderful thing about a garden is I get to harvest 
wonderful things from it, you know, but to, to think that I'm just going to go out there and plant seeds and then just leave it alone and, and never go out there and check on things on a regular and daily basis. I'm, I'm kidding myself. Right. Absolutely. So if you treat your marriage like, like that, treat your marriage like a garden and say, you know, every day I'm going to maintenance this thing and I'm going to go out and spend time in it and purposefully look for things that are ruining my marriage. Um, I'm going to renew things within my marriage and then I'm going to reap the benefits of being in this relationship in this, in this marriage. And, um, I think if you have that paradigm, I think, I think you'll be in a better place. Absolutely. That's good. Awesome. So make sure you're not spraying DDT on your <laughs> marriage. I don't know if there's an extended metaphor there about pesticides being too much or something. I don't know. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that, <laughs> I'm terrible with gardening metaphors because my wife does all the gardening. I, I just, just go out there and just, just, just dump a bunch of agent orange all over yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just on the mower, man. I just run over anthills and kids toys and everything else. So anyway, yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening. If you have any questions or man, if you've got anything that you need prayer over, man, maybe your marriage is struggling. You just want to reach out to us and say, Hey, we say prayer for a marriage. We would love to do that. Uh, you can send us an email at beards and Bible podcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us over the Facebook page, but, uh, we are praying for your marriage. We're fighting for your marriage as well. And rooting for you guys, wherever you're at, even if you're in a struggling marriage right now. So, um, keep investing, keep pouring into it, bring it before the Lord. And, uh, Thank you guys for listening. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.